Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Uh, my name is Jay Vineyard, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. I joined the uh, staff in January of 2014. It's been a great honor. Uh, one of the, the areas that I've been assigned is to help develop what's called the Serve Workshop. Basically, it is an opportunity for you to figure out how God has gifted you, use your experiences, wired you, what you're excited about in life, and help you find a place where you can use it in the kingdom of God. And basically what we've found out that if you do that, it will change your life. In fact, if you serve, you're happier in life, you're healthier in life, you have a sense of uh, meaning in life. And, and some of you have been with us for a while and say, I, I want to plug in, not sure where. All right, so you heard it. August the 10th, we're going to teach it. So you be sure and sign up and be part of the Serve Workshop, all right? Uh, today, I want to talk about relationships. Now, the Bible describes the church as community. The church is a community. And so when we think about community, uh, what does community look like? Uh, what do we need to do in, the, in a church to really experience community? What are some of the barriers that keep us from experiencing community in the church? It's an important idea that we find in the New Testament. We are in a series of sermons that's called Freedom. And basically the idea is that God's grace gives us the opportunity to live like we're designed to live. Two weeks ago, Pastor John Warnock talked about the prodigal son. And you remember that story, how God's grace, God's love called this son back to him, even though he was way far from him, really deep in sin. It was God's grace that compelled him back to a relationship with him. And when he came back, he found newness and hope and forgiveness. Last week, David Hodge did a wonderful job as he talked about how grace can transform our situation and, and the reality is some of us are going up to some really tough issues in life and grace makes us stronger than we think we are so we can live in freedom. Today we're going to think about relationships. Now normally we think about God's grace, we think about it in the vertical. Right? You know, God is, is, is transforming my life and we think about it in terms like this, but do we ever consider how God can transform the horizontal, the relationships that we have with one another? It's an important theme that we find in the Bible. In fact, if you do a word study in, in this little phrase that's called one another, the one another passages that you find, there are about 133 references to how we ought to live in one another. I'll give you some examples. I think they're going to come up on the screen. I give a new commandment, love one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Let us no longer criticize one another. And you can go on. And so it's, you realize that this is an important concept in the New Testament. But what I'm learning is that relationships can be a challenge. Now, early on, when I was early in my uh, professional career, my ministry career, I had this idea. I just said, man, if people just love Jesus, if they just love Jesus then relationships are going to be easy. We're going to love each other. We're going to get along with each other. And now 33 years later, I'm looking back and going, boy, was I naive. Maybe four or five steps beyond naive. 
Relationships can be a challenge, can't they? Thank you. Somebody actually said yes, they can be. So what does the Bible say about relationships and how we ought to relate to one another and understanding that the specific passage that I'm going to point you to is pointing toward the church. But you can apply it to every relationship that you have in your life. May I take you to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And we're going to read Paul's word to the church of Colossae, what he says about relating to one another so that we can experience the freedom to be the people of God that he's called us to be. Some of you are verbal thinkers. You're like me. You need a talk to think. And so I'm going to give you that opportunity as we all, the, the verses on the screen, and we are all going to join together. You follow along as we collectively read God's Word out loud. You ready? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, these that put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, so that indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Boy, what a beautiful, challenging passage. Here's the reality. Understanding these words is easy. It's the application that can get kind of tough. Now, what is Paul talking to, and what's the situation around his book? Paul is writing to a church that's in Colossae, and they are struggling with the question of, is Christ sufficient? There are people in the church that were questioning the sufficiency of Christ. In the first two chapters, he outlines the theological argument. He's, he's basically saying, this is truth. But then in chapter 3, he transitions and says, basically, if this is true, in chapters 1 and 2, this is how it's lived out in chapters 3 and 4. And one of the things that you'll notice, particularly in verse 5, is that he, he tells the church, these are things that you need to take off. Basically, these are traits, these are behaviors that have no place in the Christian's life, and we need to intentionally get rid of these traits, behaviors, these sins, in our lives if we're going to have the fullness of joy in Christ. But then in verse 12, he says, after you take that off, you put these things on. And again, the idea is there's an intentionality. There's a purpose in doing it. And I'd also say that beyond, in our own power, we're incapable of doing what Paul is telling us to do in these verses. We need God's grace to empower us to do it. But let's begin with the end in mind. Why did Paul instruct this church to practice these principles? Here it is. You'll notice that in verse 14 and again in verse 15, the, the idea of harmony. Did you see it? Perfect harmony. And then it talks about the one body. And basically what Paul is telling the church is that I want you to live in unity with one another. If you're going to have an effectiveness you're going to have to live in unity with one another. 
In John 17, Jesus has this wonderful prayer for his disciples, knowing that they were a diverse group of guys, knowing that sometimes they could be hard-headed, and knowing that they had the propensity toward arguing. He prayed, Lord, make them one as we are one. For what reason? So that I can be glorified. And here's the idea. A church that is going to be effective has to be a church that is in unity. Before joining this church, I worked for 14 years at the Georgia Baptist Convention. I traveled all over the state, went all over the place, working with churches, and many times I found myself in churches in conflict. And as I looked at conflict, I became an expert at it. And here's what I've learned about it. In conflict situations in churches, it's always about power and control. And in conflict situations, what folks folks don't realize is that when a church is in conflict, their reputation is ruined. You know that. Some of you are here because your church was in conflict. But here's the other thing that I know, is that any time a church purposes that it's going to be on mission and do what God has called it to do. The gates of hell are disturbed by that, and it's going to move, and guess where it tries to hit? The relationships. Now, we're on a new journey in our church. You remember this little booklet that every one of us got? You remember chapter 2? We sure have talked about it a lot, haven't we? When I came on board, uh, Pastor Keith was, was telling us about this, and he was sharing with me the vision for the church about how we're going to engage our community, about how we're going to plant a church, how we hope that we can just go multi-site so we can reach more people, how we can be involved in our community to be the redemptive people of God that God has called us to be. And when he shared this with me, I said, I'm on board. I, I will give my life. I will give my treasure. I am absolutely on board with this. I don't know how you felt about it. I'm excited. We, we, Some will think, well, how are we going to get there? I don't know. We're figuring that out. But here's what I I do know. That if we are going to be the missional church that God has called us to be, we must walk in unity. And that's exactly why Paul said in Ephesians 5 that we need to maintain the unity in the church. Some of you might be whispering, ooh, what is going on at Dogwood? Nothing. No one's arguing. No one's going to. I'm just telling you that what we need to realize is that we need to be in unity to accomplish the things that God has called us to do in the life of the church. Now, does unity mean uniformity, where we all think alike, act alike? No. How How about if I have a different idea? How about, can I disagree? Yeah. Whenever we handle our disagreements biblically, whenever we do what we find in Acts 6 and Acts 13, we have a better outcome. So we're not asking not to disagree with one another, right? We're asking to live in unity. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, Paul describes it in these verses. So let's go back and let's start with that first word that we find, and it is compassion. Now, if you read out of uh, King James, that word might come across as bowels of mercy. Boy, isn't that a graphic kind of idea, bowels of mercy. Well, for us, we think the emotions are in the heart. You know, we fall in love, our heart beats a little quicker or whatever. Not in that day. They they, they said the emotions are felt down here. And I can understand it because if you get nervous, guess where you feel it? 
here. If you really are in love or whatever, you feel it down here. And basically the idea is that we are to show compassion to one another deeply. As we come to this campus, though, here's what normally happens. We pull in the parking lot, and we see that everyone is smiling. They seem to have their act together. It looks like their kids are under control. It looks like their career. You know, we, we assume that everybody's life is going wonderfully well, but that's not my experience. And for most part, when we come on the campus, many of us feel that we need to put this smile on our face to act like everything's okay, just to fit in. Isn't that sad? When you come here, here's what you need to know. Whatever the circumstance that you're facing, there are other people that are facing the same kind of stuff. You're having a hard time at job? Yeah, we got people that are here that are having the same kind of stuff. Uh, Things are kind of up on the wall with you and your spouse. Yeah, that happens here. How about the kids? You know, a little struggle going on with the kids. Are you worried? Some people, they have these these health issues that are changing the directory of their life. And we want to say that in this place, there's a place of healing, there's a place of hope, there's a place of compassion, and that we will love you unconditionally here in this place. There's a quote that I have come across, and it's actually my prayer. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. I hope you write, take a moment, just write it down, because it is my prayer for Dogwood Church. And basically this says this, whatever the capacity of hurt and brokenness that we will experience in life, our church, this church, Dogwood Church, there's a greater capacity of healing and wholeness. Could that be your prayer as well? We come to this place hurt, wounded, broken. We got all that. We understand it. But what we want to do with one another is recognize that and be a source of healing. Here's a challenge for us. Time. We are so busy. We get so wound up in time and things going on that we just have a hard time investing in somebody else's life. Probably the greatest challenge for me, and perhaps for you, is that I tend to be self-serving. I don't want to because it's hard. Compassion. Notice the next word in the list. Kindness. Now, let me, let me illustrate kindness as something that happened in our parking lot. Okay. You remember those, those weeks, you know, this past year when it rained every Sunday? You remember those? And, man, it was a hard rain. So I'm out in the golf cart uh, trying to pick up people to get into the wet golf cart so we can come to the front door. We're all wet, you know. I'm, but I'm out there, and I'm driving this golf cart around. And I notice that there's a parking spot right at the front. Then I notice it happening. There's a car over here and a car over there. Both those drivers see the spot. And you see, oh, they goosed it. You know, they're going to get that spot. And then they get up to that spot. You know what they want to do. They're going to dip in front. But then they pause. It's, oh, gosh, I'm at church. Can't do that. Oh, and it's this moment where this one guy goes, no, you go here. And the other guy says, no, you go here. And I'm sitting in the golf cart. So, guys, I'm really getting wet here. I picked the other one. You have to get you up to resolve this thing. But they're just doing it. And then another thing I thought, but this is a tender moment. 
This is just tender. And then I thought, the cynic in me thought, you know, if we were at Best Buy, I just wonder what would happen. Kindness. Well, here's what we normally associate kindness with. It's the words that we use in life. And the Bible speaks a great deal about our words and how the impact of our words. And I have some terms that I've often used in life, and that are our words, life words. In other words, do they bring healing? Do they bring encouragement into the relationship? Or are they death words? Do they bring harm and hurt? And in our interactions on a day-to-day basis, we need to ask ourselves the question, how am I using my words in this relationship? Uh, some would push back and say, well, wait a minute. Now, I, you know, where I work, I have to get kind of heavy with some of the folks that work with me. I understand that. Sometimes you have to take corrective measures. But the question is, is are you trying to build up? Or are you trying to wound? Now, I'm a dad. Sometimes we parents, the things that we say to our kids in the heat of the moment, bring hurt to your children. Watch your words. And for others of us that struggle as many, I just, I don't mean to do it. I just get really upset. I get, you know, so mad and, you know, it just comes out. And here's my word of advice to you. If you're that person, don't say a thing. Walk away because as soon as you say something, realize that the impact of your words will ruin a relationship, if not destroyed. Instead, the other way we often have to struggle is the infamous email. Okay, now some of you can relate to this. All right, you're really upset, and what do you do? I'm going to write this personal email. You type out this, and you're scathing, and you're going to, to the point. You're cutting. It, 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 fine, do it. Write that note. Write that email, but don't hit send. Because as soon as you do, you destroy a relationship. And then notice, as we go to the next word, humility. Humility is is a word that we're well familiar with, and basically it's a proper estimation of who we are in Christ. I'm not going to spend any time here, but I will let Scripture interpret Scripture. When I read out of Philippians 2, where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. How our church would be transformed if we practice this, wouldn't it? But then the word gentleness. Now, quite candidly, for men, this word gentleness gives us a little heartburn. Here's the deal. In our minds, we see this word and say, well, does that mean that I just have to let people run over me? Uh, or do I have to get in touch with my feminine side? I mean, I don't really like this word gentleness. And, and here's the, the mental association that, that I can best describe how we approach this word. And it happened with our, our German shepherd. Now, we got this German shepherd. Now, have you guys seen German shepherds? They look ferocious. They look mean, but not Charlie. He's got the look, but he doesn't have the demeanor. In fact, if anybody ever broke in my house, he might roll over to let him walk over him a little easier. That's Charlie, you know. So he's this little docile little... The dog is, quite honestly, he's kind of disappointed. You know, i got to tell you. So anyway, we had this possum. This possum showed up at our house. Now, how many of you have been up close to a possum? Nasty animals, all right? They hiss at you. they got fangs. 
And so this possum shows up at our house, and he's eating Charlie's dog food. Karen says, possum down there? I said, I'm not going down there. It's nasty. I'm not going to touch that thing. So we said, all right, time for Charlie to shine. All right, Charlie, possum, in your food. Go get him. That dog tore down the steps, picked up that little possum by the nap of the neck, and gently put him away three feet from there. I thought, are you kidding me? Really? But then I came down, because then Karen says, you got to go take care of the possum. So I'm coming down, and I see the possum do something. He played possum. Never seen it before. Have you guys seen possum play possum? Feet up. He's dead. And I looked at it, I thought, there is a good sermon illustration. And so I looked at it, I thought, but you know, that's how we think about gentleness. You know, we just let people run over. It's absolutely not. Gentleness means strength of character. Gentleness means that I have my emotions in check. Gentleness is the ability to consider somebody else's opinion and not revolt in anger. Moses was described as a meek person, but he can be decisive. He could be as strong as nails when it came to principle. The antonym of, of this is a person that is always controlled by their anger, always trying to get their own way. And they assume that if I'm a, I erupt and I express my anger, that people that fear me, people respect me, and I would say, no, they don't. They might do what you say, but they'll come to a point where they despise you. Patience and bearing with one another. I put those together because they're somewhat similar uh, with each other. Patience has to do with my approach to people and their imperfections. So as we as we gather together, we're all imperfect. No, no one's got this life figured out, and all of us have those sins in our lives, as Pastor Keith called those besetting sins that we really are trying to conquer, try, really trying to beat, but they're still there. And so what happens in the church is that we come in some places, we feel like everybody's judging me. No. Patience is the ability to recognize that we're all imperfect. But the grace might be to say, hey, think about what you're doing. The long-suffering has to do with the reality of we're all different. I mean, look around this building. Look how different we are. We, We come from different places. Uh, I don't, men, I don't know if you guys knew this, but men and women, a little bit different there, aren't they? So we're a little bit different. We have different personalities. We have different views on life. We're all different. We are from all over the world in this church. I've got a friend of mine in our small group. She's from the island of Dominica. Uh, we have uh, people from other countries like New York. Well, see if you caught that. I was there recently. Yeah, it's a different country. So, you know, we, and, and people from everywhere, and we come together, and we are trying to live out the community, understanding that we're different. How do we do that? Do we celebrate our differences, or do we pull away and we talk about how that person is different than I am? But then the next word, and this word is the toughest word. Forgive. Embedded in the word forgive is based on the Greek word 
grace. Um, and for us, our challenge is that we tend to want to put boundaries and limitations on our forgiveness. Now, the reality is this. If you are living in this world at some point, some place in life, someone's going to hurt you. Unless you're in a cocoon, you're going to be hurt. But going back to this idea of boundaries and limitations, Peter came to Jesus and says, hey, you know, how often do I need to forgive this guy? How about seven? No, no, how about 49? And Jesus reminded him, says, no, there are no limitations on forgiveness. The boundaries has the idea of I'm willing to forgive to this point, but if I'm hurt beyond that, no. You can forget that. As you might imagine in my, my life, I've sat across the table from folks who've shared some pretty hard things. People who have been wounded in ways that are unimaginable. Spouses that have experienced infidelity. People who, as a child, experienced wounds from their parents that are unspeakable. People whose friends have betrayed them. Work situations that have presented themselves a very painful challenge. And in those moments of conversation, they come up and say, you know, I just don't think I can forget this person or forget what they did to me. And I remind them that forgiveness is never dependent on forgetting. Some have said, I, I, this person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I understand that. But neither are you. And sometimes we hold on to our our, this, this sense of resentment and we refuse to forgive. We think that we're getting back at this person because of it, but the actual truth is that you are the one that's wounded deeply. There are some in this room that you've, you've chosen, you, you, have a, you just don't know if I can forgive this person, and you've chosen resentment, and here's what happens. You, you really go into this, this, this prison this emotional prison where you lack joy, you lack the love, you lack all that God has given and has desired for you, and you live in bitterness, and in many cases we become people that, that no one wants to be around. And some would say, Jay, you don't know what I'm, you're asking me to do. I said, I'm not asking you to do it. It's what God has commanded us to do. That if you want the joy of walking in Him, if you want all that He has for you, the choice is to forgive. And quite honestly, for many of us, the things that we've experienced, it's not humanly possible. It is a gift of grace. Last weekend, David Hodge talked about his experience for forgiveness and the process that he went through so that he could come to a place to forgive. But then notice the last one. And this is the indispensable trait. It's called love. Now, when we think of love in our culture, boy, don't we have a distorted view of what love is nowadays? Our culture, TV, has really 
distorted love. It, it, love in this culture, it's, it's seen as conditional. It's a matter of if. It's all wrapped in emotions. But when Jesus came to the world, he brought a new understanding of love. The New Testament church was built on a new understanding of love. It's not based on emotions, but it's based on intention. It's based on a decision of action in our lives to choose to love. In fact, if we try to describe it, we will come up short. The best description that all of us have ever read comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at it as I read it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That is what we want here. Some years ago, I read a book that kind of rocked me. A book called The Most Loving Place in Town. And the premise is is a parable about a couple of guys who assumed that their church was a loving place. And as they began to look at the the reality of is that, yeah, we are a friendly place, but are we really a loving place? Their conclusion was, we're not. In our church, how do we be that loving church? Based on 1 Corinthians 13, how do we love? It's when we put in action compassion, kindness, humility. Now, as you looked at these, these words, which one do you most often struggle with? Are you at a place where you say, you know, I've just been way too busy. I, I really don't want to get involved in other people's lives. Or maybe it is kindness, and as you think about the words that you're using, you realize, I need to make a change here. I speak life words. Humility. Perhaps you think, I've, I'm so full of myself that I can't see someone else. Gentleness. Are we patient and forbearing with one another? Someone else might say, Jay, it's forgiveness. I've got some resentment. I have bitterness. So what you think through those words that Paul presented to us? And in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a, in a moment of prayer. And what you might want to do is say, God, you might want to take the, 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 the note sheet or somewhere in your Bible and say, God, May I resolve to put these into practice. But Lord, this is the place that I'm struggling right now. As you fill out your communication card, as we take up them at the offering, it might be you want to talk to one of the pastors. Man, I'd love to talk to you. Love to chat with you. Just put your card in there. For others, we're going to have this table right here to my right, your left. It's at the very front. Where we're going to have some folks there that will love on you and pray with you you'd like to come and talk with them. So for a moment, let's bow our heads and ask God to speak to our
So, Father, we recognize that living in community, while it sounds easy, can be at times tough stuff. Forgive us, Father, when we've acted in ways that have caused disruption to the body. May we put to practice the words that you tell us to put to work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.